Does that logo remind anyone else of uh, Cheers? You have to be a certain age to appreciate that. Look, <laughs> Cheers. If you've, never, um, if you've never been to the real Cheers in Boston, it is the most epic disappointment. It, it looks like the TV show from the outside and you walk in and it looks like a dingy Applebee's and you're like, this isn't that good. So um, Kyle and I, we actually went there a couple of years ago in Boston, so anyways. Um, so okay, that was the first point of order, cheers. Cheers is not what it's cracked up to be. Second point of order is um, the age-old question, if there is a God, was answered last night, oddly enough, in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is snowing in hell, yes, if you're asking. So, uh, no, that was mean. I expected a much full crowd this morning after all the deals UT fans were making with God last night. I would have expected more people in the room that they'd be sitting on the floor and filling up all the chairs, but... Anyways, coming from St. Louis, I care very little about college football. It was, it was good to see UT win. It was, it was uh, quite a game, so... If the, if the kicker from Alabama comes up missing. Yeah, anyways, that's enough, that's enough. So we're starting a new book of the Bible. It's the 11 o'clock service. You're the last service that I'm teaching at all weekend. We just have all the time to kill so we can hang out all afternoon and, and talk and make jokes and read the Bible and good times. Thank you for being here. Um, so again, we're starting a new book of the Bible, book of Ephesians. I have taught probably 30 books of the Bible all the way through Shockingly, I have never taught the book of Ephesians. It's, it's one of the more famous and I, a very, very, it's a short book of the Bible, extremely important. A lot of kind of fundamental theology of the Christian faith, kind of like Christianity 101, we get in, in the book of Ephesians, very, very important. And we'll get into this and we'll do chapter one today, which won't take us that long. Before we get into that, let me tell you kind of where we're gonna land, or at least I hope we're gonna land. And then I'm gonna give you a little bit of brief history on this book of the Bible and then, then we'll dive in. Where we're gonna land today is we're gonna talk about two really important things that kind of work in connection with each other. The first one is, is we're gonna talk about the magnitude of God. And I think even as Christians, we often forget how, how awesome, and I mean that in the, the literal sense of the word awesome, awestruck, amazing, that it is that not only we get to know God, but we get to have a relationship with the creator God, the creator God, the architect of the universe, right? That's we often forget that. And so today we're gonna to talk about that, the magnitude of the fact that we can know God. And if we know God, and if we understand how big of a deal that is, that should shape us into being better people. We have a really unbiblical false narrative in American Christianity that one can get saved and not change, and that is not biblical. So we're gonna address that a little bit today. When we, when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we change, we become better because we're hanging out with God and he shapes the way we think and we act and how we do things and how we respond. So we're gonna talk about how those two things work together. So you should have got a notes handout. Everything that's gonna be up here, including the, the kind of background on this book, it'll all be in your notes on the app. And if you have a Bible, right after the book of Galatians, I always check like somehow things have changed in my Bible. It's still after the book of Galatians um, in the New Testament we have the book of Ephesians. So if you've been with, with this church for any length of time, we've done a lot of Paul's work. We just got done with 1 Corinthians a, a couple of months back, which is a really, really fun book of the Bible to teach. These are letters written from a guy named Paul. Now, a little bit about Paul. Paul was a Jew, but he was actually born in the area that we're gonna be talking about, not in Ephesians specifically, uh, but he was born in the nation of Turkey. The Bible calls that Asia Minor. 
Very educated man. Paul was a very, very intelligent man and he was a religious leader. He was a part of the same religious group. If you read the first four books of the New Testament, the same group of religious educated people that had Jesus arrested and killed, Paul was a part of that group, the Pharisees. And he persecuted the Christians after Jesus's crucifixion. He went after people who were still faithful to Jesus. He would arrest them, he would imprison them, he would sometimes kill them. He did this until AD 35 when he dramatically converted to a Christian. On the road to Damascus, Jesus himself, the resurrected Christ, knocked Paul off his horse, and um, basically he got converted in a very dramatic fashion. And then he started ministering mostly to non-Jews. I don't mean this as an insult towards other Jewish people, but the reason why I think God chose Paul to minister to Greeks and Romans is because he was so educated, he was able to go outside of Israel and he was able to, to minister to people who were educated in Greek philosophy and Roman history, and he was able to do that. He was eventually executed in 68 AD by probably history's most insane leader, Caesar Nero, who was responsible for hanging Peter upside down, crucifying Peter upside down, beheading Paul, killing countless other Christians. I've said this before, we get the term Roman candle from Nero when he would dip Christians in wax, tie them to posts, light them on fire. That's where we get the term Roman candle. And he would light up his garden with the, with the bodies of Christians who were on fire. A very, very insane individual, slit his throat in front of the Senate and killed himself and insane. So anyways, this is a little bit about Paul and where Paul was. Paul wrote this particular letter while he was in prison in Rome under Nero, about 60 to 62 AD, somewhere in that ballpark. And the reason why he wrote this letter to the, the, the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, was there was a lot of false teaching that was starting to creep its way into the church. A lot of new philosophies, a lot of theology that contradicted the Bible, and he wanted to address that. Another reason why he wrote this book of the Bible is there was a lot of cultural differences between the Christians who were Jews, Jewish Christians, and Gentile, non-Jewish Christians. A lot of cultural debates, right? And so he was trying to unite these two groups. That's why we read the word agape, which is the strongest version of love. We read it 19 times in the book of Ephesians, unless I counted incorrectly, right? I always feel like when I say a specific number like that, someone inevitably is gonna go back and count be like, Corey, it was only 18, you know, like never coming to church again. And um, anyway, so, so I'm gonna go ahead and say, I, I might be wrong on that, but I counted 19 times that agape is used. Uh, the audience, the people that Paul was writing to, the, the Ephesians, this letter was written not just to a church. It will say the church in Ephesus. That means all the Christians in Ephesus. Imagine once upon a time, all the churches in a city were considered one church because they got along together, had a common theology. They didn't fight. They didn't argue with this other denomination. They didn't try to steal people from this church and outdo these people. They were all working connection in connection as one church. So he was writing to the church, multiple churches in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a, a very interesting city, a pretty big size city, about 300,000 people. It was the hub of trade in modern day Turkey. It was beautiful, it was affluent, it was filled with very educated intellectual people, also very pagan people. This was the capital for the worship of the goddess Diana. Now you may not care about that, but when you read the Bible, context and culture matters. 
For instance, there's a time where Paul writes to, to the Ephesian church in another book of the Bible, don't let women speak in church. Now, some people read that and they're like, no, nope, you know, tell your wife when you enter the doors, don't say anything. That's not what that means. That was written because the, the, uh, uh, a lot of the churches in Ephesus were being infiltrated by female cult leaders in the temples of Diana. And these were people who uh, almost all the cults in Ephesus were, were led by women in the temples from Diana. And so they didn't know the true God. They were bringing in false teaching. So Paul's uh, uh, instruction to the people in Ephesians was don't let the, those women talk. They're not fit to yet. They haven't learned the Bible. So context in culture matters, or we can take the Bible way out of context, okay? So if you're a nerd in here, like me, and uh, you kind of know, you, you want to know where you are in the world when you're studying these books of the Bible. Uh, we have Italy. Everyone knows Italy because of the boot, right? You have Greece. Um, you see that's where Corinth is. Athens is there. And then over here in, the Bible calls it Asia Minor. We call it Turkey. On the west coast of Turkey, you have Ephesus. So if you're hanging out with some friends and they quote to you a scripture from Ephesus, you can absolutely blow them away and say, well, you know, oh yes, Ephesus on the western coast of what is modern day Turkey, I'm familiar. And you can blow them away with your geographical knowledge <laughs> of the book of Ephesians. Actually, you'll just look really pretentious and snooty. So probably don't do that. And there are, <laughs> there are some overarching themes in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians. So Paul wanted to address bad theology. That was kind of number one. But to address bad theology, he gives us the basics of the Christian faith. Things like redemption, and we will define these things, our purpose, the grace of God, predestination, right? Everyone starts sweating, you start fist fighting the Christian next to you. Reconciliation <laughs> to God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So basically, Paul is going to tell us in a nutshell that we are invited by Jesus to be restored and adopted into the family of God. Now, the reason why I underlined the word adopted right there is because I learned something really fascinating after I wrote this lesson. I usually get done with my lesson on Tuesday mornings because they have to proofread it and you know print out the things and on the app and all that stuff. So I have to get done with it early in the week. Later on in the week, I was having lunch with a good friend of mine and he was so excited about the book of Ephesians and he had done a big study on it. And he said, you know what was interesting? I'm gonna tell you guys this. What's interesting about this word adoption so, so often in Ephesians is in Ephesus during this time, there was a hill in Ephesus. And if you had a baby that had physical deformities or, or maybe they were mentally a little slow or, or there was just something about your baby you didn't like, it was legal to take your baby to this hill in Ephesus and leave them for dead on this hill. And so what would often happen is other people in Ephesus would go up to the hill knowing that there would be newborn infants there. They would take the babies back to their homes and raise them, not because they were good people. They would raise these people to be slaves for them their entire life. The reason why this piece of culture is important is when Paul writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, which I'm sure a lot of these people who were abandoned by their parents and in slavery received this letter that said, you are adopted by God. That's a big deal. See, again, culture and context add a little bit more flavor to this mix. Paints the picture a little bit more clearly. Okay, let me pray. We're gonna get into chapter one. I think you'll like it. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And um, then we'll go about our day, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. 
God, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for everyone in this room this morning. Thank you, God, that we can come in here and worship you freely. Thank you for the right to, to be able to read the word, God, and for us to talk about it. Lord, just keep your hand on us today, God. We need you. We, we desperately, utterly need you, Lord God. And um, just pray that you keep your hand on our church. Father, we pray for every church. We pray for every church in this city. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those cities. And Father, we pray that ultimately you get all the credit, God. We pray that ultimately you get all the, the accolades and the praise and the honor and that you're proud of us, God. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God. Keep your hand on us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read this letter. Paul writes this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus in Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. So the first thing Paul says is he says, I'm an apostle, right? He opens up, hey, it's Paul, the apostle. In our modern day, apostle simply means someone that plants churches and then oversees those churches. That's, that's what that means. In Paul's day, it meant a little bit more. To call someone an apostle meant that you had direct contact with Jesus Christ. And so Paul's situation was a lot, a, a lot different than everyone else's. He had direct contact, but it was a couple of years after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, and he had direct contact with Jesus. So he was an apostle, and he addresses this to the saints. Now, the saints is not, and I'm not trying to be mean, like the Catholic Church mentioned saints. The saints is all of us in this room. All of us who have chosen to follow Christ, we are the saints, the bride of Christ. And so the reason why that's important is this letter wasn't just for the Ephesians. This letter was written for us as well. All people who claim to follow Jesus, the saints, this letter is to us. And Paul makes it clear, first things first, we need to give honor to God. We need to praise God first because everything we have that he's gonna talk about is because of the grace of God. And this goes deeper than earthly provisions. He is talking about spiritual things that we need. And if we're being honest in here, and I, I do this too, and there's nothing wrong with this, but we need to go a little deeper sometimes. When we think about being thankful, this is what I do. I'll talk about me. Every day I do this. God, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for a, a, a roof over my head. Thank you for a car to drive. Thank you, God, that we have enough money in our bank account to buy groceries, which is saying a lot nowadays. Thank you, God, for all of these things. And that's, that's, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think we need to reset our minds to where we say, God, thank you for peace. Thank you for contentment. Thank you for joy. Thank you, Lord, for the power to live in the way that I should live. The deeper, more spiritual blessings, the greater needs of the soul, not just food to eat, spiritual food. That's the kind of stuff that Paul was getting at. He's going deeper into this. God, thank you for the spiritual fulfillment that you give us. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about the blessings of God the Father, the blessings of Jesus the Son, 
and the blessings of the Holy Spirit. The first blessing of God is not just provision, it is the fact that God chose us. And when you say words like predestination and free will, this is when Christians, they, they start debating and they start fighting and we're smarter than you and denominations split off. And here's the thing, the idea of being chosen before the foundation of the world is a mystery because the Bible teaches both that we have been chosen by God before any of us were ever created, before the world was created, God knew the channel in which we would live. So God chooses us, but we also have a responsibility to choose him back, to accept him, to repent for our sin, to be obedient. So what happens is, is one camp goes, hey, look, we, you know, we, we are predestined. There is nothing we can do. There's no responsibility that we have. And I'm like, that's not true. If you keep reading, that's what's important about reading whole, whole chapters. For he chose us, but it says, he chose us to be holy and blameless. He chose us to choose him through our obedience. I don't know why this is so hard to understand, but this is what the scripture says. And so not only do we have the blessing of being chosen, listen to this, we have the blessing of becoming righteous by becoming holy. So when we repent for our sin, when we accept the grace and salvation of God, we are made blameless in the eyes of God. And that's only possible by the work of God, by the crucifixion, by the blood that was shed. Now again, here's where we go to extremes because we as humans just struggle with balance. We go to one extreme that says, uh, we're gonna be perfect. That means I never make a mistake again. And if I do, I'm gonna beat myself down and I'm not righteous and I'm awful. And we go to this extreme. Or we go to the other extreme to where we think the grace of God is a license to live like hell. And it's not. It means that we are the recipients of a relationship with God. That means that when I make a mistake, I should feel remorse, but I can go to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. And he says, I love you. You're forgiven. Let's, let, let's keep moving forward. That's what we live in. We live in this relationship with God. We are recipients of his grace and his mercy and forgiveness, but we have to live in that. It's not just one prayer we pray at a camp when we're 12. It's a relationship and it continues on until he comes back. So these are the blessings of God the Father. Now let's talk about the blessings of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This is referring to Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works everything out in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, this is referring to, to, the, to the Holy Spirit, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise 
of his glory. There's some really good stuff in this. The first one is this. If you are in this room and you are new to Christianity, Christians believe in one God that expresses himself in three persons. We call that the Trinity. And if that makes no sense to you, it has never made sense to anyone. I don't care how arrogant they are and that they say they figured it out. It is not. No one has figured it out. It's a mystery. One and three are different, but it's the same in the economy of God. And we just have to be okay not understanding that. Well, Corey, I get it. It's like an egg. It's not like an egg. God is much more complicated than that, that dozen things in your fridge. Um, it's beyond our, our, our understanding. And listen, guys, you should be okay with that. You should be okay knowing that God is beyond our comprehension. He's God, he's infinite, and we are finite, and that's okay. What we do need to know is this. We receive different unique blessings from the different persons of the Godhead is what they call it. We receive blessings from the Father, we receive blessings from the Son, and we receive blessings from the Holy Spirit. From the Son, we, we get redemption, we get forgiveness, we get enlightenment, we're gonna define all these things, and we get enrichment. Now these words we often use in church, but I'm not sure that we always know what they mean. Redemption simply means to be bought back or to be freed of slavery. Again, this word would have meant a lot to the recipients of this letter. What it means for us is every single one of us is born into a sinful nature, right? We are born into the propensity to make mistakes and do evil things. We are born into that. And when we give our life to Jesus, Jesus redeems us out of that sinful nature. He redeems us out of that evil. He sets us free from that. Romans chapter six, that we are no longer slaves to sin's claims. He redeems us out of that. Now, forgiveness works in conjunction or in tandem with uh, uh, forgiveness and, 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 and redemption work together. Forgiveness, I love this definition, is giving up the right to punish someone for their evil deeds. So here's the thing. God has every right to punish all of us for the evil we have done. But when we ask for God's forgiveness, God forfeits his right to punish us and he forgives us. So when we give our lives to Jesus, the work that he did, not the work we do, the work he did gives us freedom and it reconciles us to God. That is a huge gift. That's a big gift. And that salvation also enlightens us. It opens up our eyes. It lets us know more of the mysteries of the will of God. If you're in this room and you picked up a Bible before you gave your life to Jesus, the very, what is simple to Christians, the very simple principles of this book make no sense to someone that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Things that Jesus talked about, like praying for those that persecute you, loving those that hate you. If someone steals your shoes, give them your shirt. If someone asks you to uh, walk a mile, walk two miles. To the world, that makes no sense. But when we have God in us and we read the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Paul, the teachings of Peter and James and Jude and the other authors of the New Testament, it's like a, a curtain has been lifted off of our eyes. Oh, it makes perfect sense. It's clear, this is how we should live our lives. And as we grow in a relationship with God through prayer, through reading the word of God, we start to understand more of the nature of God and the character of God and the wisdom of God and it changes our lives. It helps us to live more fulfilling, more content lives. And we're enriched. 
So verse 11, again, reaffirms to us, we are predestined by the one who works out everything, but it is only when we choose to live in agreement with him that we inherit the things of God. I've said this now for three weeks in a row. It says in the book of James, right, that, that the, the prayers of righteous people are effective. It's not because God loves the good people more than he loves the bad. What happens is, is when we have a relationship with God, we're living the way he wants us to live, we pray for the things of God, and when we pray for the things of God, we receive them. When we pray for anything in the will of God, we get those things. So the way we see God work in our life is we agree with God. We agree with how he wants us to live. We, 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 we accept God's desires for us and we lay our desires back. And when we put our desires back and we, we live by God's desires, we inherit the things of God, both in this life, like the fruit of the spirit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, these kinds of things. We inherit those things and then we get to be with God for eternity. So we are enlightened, we are enriched, we are redeemed, we are forgiven by Jesus, and we receive the Holy Spirit. When we give our lives to Jesus, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When did God promise us that? About seven, 800 years before Paul wrote these uh, letters, Joel, one of the prophets, said there will come a time where God will pour out his Holy Spirit on all people. And this Holy Spirit, Paul says, is the down payment of our eternal reward. What that means is the Holy Spirit you receive from God when you genuinely give your life to Christ, that's a down payment. That's a touch of heaven. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a piece of God. It's a, it's a taste of what is to come. That's why I find it shocking that so many churches are afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm good with God. I'm good with Jesus. That spirit stuff's a little weird for me, right? It's a little weird for me like packing 110,000 people in a stadium and worshiping a piece of leather. It's a little weird to me, right? Just had to take a jab there anyways. <laughs> but people think it's a little weird, but, but it's biblical. This is a down payment for us. And what the Holy Spirit does is it gives us what we need until Christ comes back for us. Again, he gives us the gifts of the Spirit that we can work in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, wisdom, discernment, knowledge, faith, tongues, interpretation of tongues, healings, miracles. He gives us these things until he comes back because we need these things. He lets us produce the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us counsel. He gives us comfort. And then when Jesus returns, this is why it says in 1 Corinthians, all the gifts will go away because we don't need just a fraction of God anymore. We receive the fullness of God. We have the down payment now, but eventually we're gonna get the entire thing. So we don't need the down payment anymore. We're about to get the whole thing. But Paul says, this is very important. This is the down payment. That's the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Last part, I won't make any more, I'm sorry, I was derogatory against football. That's the, the great God of the Southeast and I was offensive there, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
And remember this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he, God, subjected everything under his, Jesus's feet, and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So Paul kind of concludes this opening salutation, this, this greeting. He ends it by, by mentioning that he prays for these Christians. What does he pray for them for? He says, I pray that you have wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. I pray that you have the wisdom and revelation of who Jesus is, the knowledge of who Jesus is. The reason why he prays that is the things of God are incomprehensible without God's help. We need God to show us who he is. He does that through his word. He does that through prayer. He does that through working in our lives. But even with the word and even with the spirit, we're not gonna comprehend everything on this side of heaven, okay? So we need, we need as much wisdom as we can get. So we need to pray for wisdom. Listen, wisdom is a gift. You can't learn wisdom by going to college. You can't gain wisdom through podcasts. You cannot gain wisdom from any amount of textbooks. Wisdom is a gift given to us from God. As far as I know, the only gift in the New Testament that the Bible says you will always receive if you ask for it is the gift of wisdom. That every time we ask God for wisdom, it says in the book of James that, that he will give us wisdom and he will give it to us in abundance. So wisdom is important because it not only helps us make good choices, not only does it help us understand scripture, wisdom also gives us the ability to live out the truth that we hear. What does that mean? We can know what is right and wrong, but if we do not do what is right and stay away from what is wrong, we're not wise. There's a lot of people who claim to be Christians who say, oh, I know Jesus, that's awesome. James says the devils in hell know Jesus. The difference is, is they are not living for Jesus. It is not enough to know the truth. True wisdom is to act on the truth. Everyone's good with that, right? Well, I know who Jesus is. That's fantastic. Satan knows who Jesus is. They used to like live together in heaven before he got booted out. Satan is not saved because of his knowledge. We must act on that knowledge. So wisdom comes, it brings a revelation. And we should be seeking wisdom. My advice to you, every time you pray, if you ask for anything for yourself, God, give me wisdom. Let me tell you, if there is one gift of the spirit that the world needs in 2022, it is the gift of wisdom. It is the gift of wisdom. We need that more than in my life than we ever have. We need wisdom and discernment. And if we have wisdom, it says the eyes of our heart are enlightened. What Paul prays for for the Christians, a couple more things. He prays that they understand that their hope is in Jesus. So we, all, we already talked about cheers. That's kind of an old man thing to do. Here's another old man thing to talk about. Occasionally, I look at my 401k, which is quite depressing. And um, period, you know, periodically, I get on the app, and I'm like, huh, I'm losing a lot of money right now. And so I've stopped looking at it. And it stopped depressing me. It did for a little bit. But the reason why it stopped depressing me is, is God reminded me, Corey, your hope is not in the American economic system. 
My hope is not in world powers. If it was, man, we're talking about nuclear stuff right now. It's a little scary, right? My hope is not in politicians. My hope is not in culture. My hope is not in entertainment. My hope is not in any of that. I have had to be reminded, Corey, your hope is in Christ and that's it. Everything else is sinking sand and that should be pretty darn obvious right now. So not only does he want us to remind us that our hope is in Christ, Paul wanted to remind us that, that, that we have spiritual and mental blessings in God, that God helps us in our spirit. He strengthens us, that he helps us mentally. What do you mean by that? The Bible says that we are given a clear, sound mind by God, that we are to be able to capture evil thoughts and, and be able to have sound decision-making abilities, that, that we are giving mental and spiritual blessings by God. And then I love what Paul writes here. I told you to remember this. I know you did. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. That God gives us the power through his Holy Spirit to live the way he wants us to live. That we are given power. This is why I tell people, whenever, man, I'm not trying to get all kooky on you guys this morning, but whenever people say, Corey, I think there's a spirit in my house, then say in the name of Jesus, get out of your house. You have the power to do that. I don't have to come over and throw oil on stuff and do a bunch of stuff and light some crosses in your front yard. I don't have to do all that crap. Just say in the name of Jesus Christ, leave. You have power, you have dominion to do that because of the Holy Spirit of God. You don't have to be afraid of anything. God has given you a measurable great power and it's demonstrated through his son, Jesus Christ. So to have hope though, to live in hope, to not live in fear in the crazy world we live in, to have the power of God in our life that not only lets us sustain life, but we get to flourish in life. If we're to possess those things, we have to have a relationship with Jesus. Listen, you can't live like hell and then expect to, to cast evil spirits out of your home. If you're entertaining evil, you can't just say, okay, in the name of Jesus, leave, it's gone too far. You have opened the door for this garbage into your home. I'm telling you, man, some of you guys need to watch what you let in your house. You know, you need to be careful what you take in through your eyes and ears. Man, Corey has lost his mind, charismatic up there, talking about angels and demons and God and the devil in church, <laughs> right? But you have been given the power of God. You have nothing to be afraid of as long as you're walking with God. Nothing to be afraid of as long as you're walking with God because it's all about God. Verse 20 through 23, I love this. So right after Paul talks about the immeasurable greatness of the power that God gives us, he then says he exercises that power through Christ, his son. What Paul is saying is this, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave, that's what you have. You have the same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the grave in you. So that's why I find it funny whenever Christians are like, man, I just don't think I can kick this porn addiction or, well, we're all dirty, rotten, broken sinners. I'm just going to stay that way. That is a bunch of bad theological bull crap. That is not the power that is in us. And more of you are offended by the fact that I said crap and your kids are watching God knows what, and so that'll offend somebody. He said crap in church. Man, your kids are listening to much worse stuff, believe me. But anyways... We think that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the grave, but he can't change us? This is bad theology. The problem is, is we need to humble ourselves and reach a place to where we, we know that no one can save us except for God. I can't fix it myself. A therapist can't fix it. And listen, I'm not against counselors. I go to one, but it's not about that. It's something greater than that. We need to, we need to know that we are incapable of saving ourselves. And this is why we need a savior. 
This is why he has to deliver us. That's why he has given us this immeasurable power because God wants us to make it. He is the one who fills all things. So when we align ourselves with God, he not only saves your soul, he equips you to live in a way that is honorable. Honorable. Go back to Romans chapter six. I do it about every three weeks. Go back to Romans chapter six. You've been set free from sin's claims that sin no longer has dominion over you. Does that mean you're perfect? No, but it means you are working in righteousness and you are becoming better by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't talk about deliverance in church nearly enough that God can break your addiction. Not just your substance abuse, your porn addiction. Corey, why do you bring that up every week? Because statistically 70% of Christians struggle with it. So we have to talk about it. And God can break that. God can break your insecurity. The reason why Paul goes on and on about the power and majesty of God in verses 20 through 23 is he shows us that God is secure. And if God is secure and if I'm aligned with God, I should be secure. I'm not to live in fear. I'm not to live, well, Corey, what if they kill us? Then you wake up in paradise. We're not to live in fear. That's not what you're designed to live in. The Bible even says you're not given a spirit of fear. You're given a spirit of a sound mind and power. That's not how you're meant. You're not meant to live insecure. We're not meant to, to, to live selfish. Said this last week, right? Less of us, more of him. Less self, more God. But we live in a day and age. This is why TikTok is the most valuable app on planet Earth right now. It's become more valuable than Google. It's become more valuable than all these different apps. And it's because it's this whole world of self-affirmation. We've become a people to where we don't celebrate like Rembrandt and Mozart. We watch 30-second videos of people brushing their teeth and it gets 36 million views. We've become so flippin' self-centered and we have so little of a rich life that we, we, it sounds bad, but we basically get off on watching people do mundane tasks all day long. Crud, you mean I can make a living like mopping my floor and taking a video of it and you watching it? This is what we've become. We've become so absorbed with the God of self and God can break that in us if we'll let him. And we can demonstrate the fruit. You know, one of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Well, Corey, I just, I can't control myself. You should be able to control yourself. With the Holy Spirit of God, you can control yourself. It is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life is self-control. And we can produce the gifts of the Spirit, wisdom, discernment, faith, right? That we can display these things in our lives. Let's go back to the beginning, right? Because you guys are like, let's get the heck out of here. <laughs> Let me ask you this, and I mean this genuinely, and not in a, not in a accusatory way or condescending way. I mean this genuinely because I can fall into this trap. Does the fact that you have an opportunity to have a relationship with the creator God, does it still blow your mind? Think about it for a second. Are we still awestruck by God? I, ser seriously, but chew on that. When, when you go outside and again, you see the moon, we have a telescope because we're, we're, I mean, we're nerds at our house. We like to look at, you know, when Jupiter was out a couple of weeks ago, we're out in the driveway looking like a bunch of weirdos staring at Jupiter. And the, the, I, I think it's amazing. And I think, right, I think when I look up at Jupiter or just even when I see the moon, 
The God that spoke it all into existence hears me every time I talk to him. That should blow your mind. Not only does he hear me, though, he loves me. He, he, he chose me to be a recipient of an eternal reward with him. That, that should blow your mind. Don't ever let that stop blowing your mind. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. We have to intentionally war against complacency and entitlement. We have to fight against it. Listen, I honestly have no problem with college football or any sports. I, I, I seriously don't. I take shots sometimes, but I don't. And whenever people go, well, Corey, the game was on. Well, we have two Sunday morning services. I'm serious. Our five o'clock service, and I hope you're watching if you missed five o'clock for a football game last night. Our five o'clock service is our second biggest service. It's much bigger than this one. And it was a ghost town last night because of a flipping football game. Now, if they all missed and they were all here this morning, that's fine. We offer four services. It was no bigger this morning than it typically is. Guys, I don't know what you're teaching your kids, but you're teaching them to treat Jesus like he's second class. And it's wrong. I have nothing against sports. I spoke at an FCA event last week to all athletes, MTSU athletes and everyone else. Got nothing against it. You can honor God in that. We need to fight intentionally against complacently, uh, complacency, against entitlement, against apathy by remembering not only how great and powerful God is, but that he saved us. He loves us. That is a big, big deal. We also need to remember someone else is from the Midwest and they don't care about football back there. <laughs> we also need to remember that there is freedom in Christ. Again, guys, I say this all the time. Whenever I hear born-again Christians say, well, we're all just dirty sinners, we're all broken, we're all lost, that is nowhere biblically supported. Absolutely nowhere. In fact, it says in Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ sets you free. There is freedom in Christ. He says, stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Do you know what that teaches us? That slavery or freedom is a choice. It is a choice. We either submit to one or the other. And we, we have the choice to live in freedom, but we must choose to walk away from evil and walk away from ourselves and towards a gracious God. Well, Corey, I just cannot get free of the porn addiction. Man, if you gotta throw away the laptop, if you gotta confess to your wife, if you gotta confess to someone at work, if you gotta put software on your phone, whatever you gotta do, you can be set free of it if you want to be set free of it. With God's help and good community, you can be set free, but you have to want to. Well, Corey, I just, I, I keep getting drunk and doing this. Well, that means you may not be able to go to, you know, girls' night on Friday at the bar. You may have to stay away from that. You may have to get a new set of friends. You may have to cut some things out of your life. You can be set free, but you have to want to be set free. Unfortunately, so many people think they can have one arm in this world and one arm in this world, and you cannot. Jesus says this, no person can have two masters. You're either gonna love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. You have to make a decision, Jesus says. We have to live responsibly. Does God choose us? Yes, but we have to be responsible enough to choose him back. We have to do that. There is freedom though. There is also power to live righteously. So the Spirit is a down payment. What the Holy Spirit is for us now is it is the ability to live the way God wants us to live until he comes back. 
where we display the fruit, we display the gifts, we have peace, we have joy, we have the strength and ability to avoid evil and the wisdom to make good decisions. What does this mean? It means that we can live better. We can live better. It is for freedom that Christ set us free and he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us, immeasurable greatness of power, to live in an honorable way until he comes back. We can live better. Listen, so many times people look at the Bible as just a set of rules. There's all these rules and God's just given us all these rules and the church gives us rules and Corey's always talking about do this and don't do that. Listen, that's not from a posture of hate. God does that from a posture of love. God loves you, listen, and he values you. So the reason there's commands in the Bible like, do not have any sex outside of marriage, young ladies, is because God thinks you are more valuable than just haphazardly giving yourself to a bunch of slimy dudes that don't care about you, who objectify you and look down on you and want you as just a piece of momentary pleasure and they discard you until they find someone else. It's not because God doesn't like sex. God created sex. God made it to feel good, but he wants it in the confines of a marriage because he knows that's what's best for you, because he loves you. It's not restriction based on hate. He's not some megalomaniac God. He wants what's best for you. The reason why it's a sin to get intoxicated is because God doesn't want you driving into an embankment or slamming into another car and killing someone or wrecking your marriage or wrecking your own life. That's why certain things are out of bounds because God is not looking at you as something small to, to command around. You are made in the image of God and God is looking at us saying, you're not meant to live here. I have made you to live here. I have made you to live at a much higher standard. God sees something in you that you probably don't even see in yourself. That's what God sees in us, that we can be better people, more in the image of God. That's what the word sanctification means, that over time we become to look more and more like our Father and how we act and how we think and how we do things. And there's power in the Holy Spirit to do that. Let's take an inventory. We haven't done this in a while. Someone last night at the five went, oh. <laughs> the first thing is this. And again, let me genuinely ask you, first and foremost, when we pray and when we talk to God, are we thanking and praising him first? C.S. Lewis said this, if you have 10 minutes to pray, nine minutes of it should be praising and thanking God. <laughs> We've got it the opposite, right? Are we praising and thanking God? When is the last time you didn't ask God for anything? You just said, God, you are so powerful, Lord. God, you created the sun and the other stars, and you created this earth, and you created me, God, all the animals around it. When's the last time you just, that's why I love that song, So Will I. It just kind of runs through the whole gamut of everything that, that God has done and created, and the cross, and just praising and thanking. Are we living in alignment with Jesus and the word of God? Are we doing what the word of God tells us to do? Are we doing what Jesus tells us to do through our prayer time? Are we asking God for wisdom? You need to. You need to, you need to, you need to. Are we asking for God to, to open our eyes, show us, enlighten us, God? Are we reading? If you're, want, if you're wanting to know more about God, right here, it tells us a lot about God. 
Read the Bible, it's a fascinating book, just little bits at a time. And are we doing what the Bible tells us to do? Are we following the commands of God? You know, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, if you love me, you will keep my commands. There's a lot of people who say, man, I love Jesus. They don't do what Jesus tells them to do. And by definition, Jesus would say, you don't love me. Because if you love me, you will keep my commands. You'll do what I tell you to do. Do we honestly believe that we can step up and live better? Or do we use a lot of excuses and abuse the grace of God? Diedrich Bonhoeffer called this cheap grace, cheap grace. What Paul talks about in the New Testament is he says, should we sin more so grace abounds? Paul goes, nope, absolutely not. We're not to abuse grace. Do we believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be better moms, better dads, better followers of Jesus, better parents, right? Better, better, better husbands, better wives, better employees, better citizens, nicer, more loving, that we can think pure thoughts. Do we think we can do this? If you don't, you need to go back and read about the immeasurable power of the Holy Spirit that should be in you, that gives us the ability to step up. Do we understand that following Jesus benefits us today. Following Jesus and the word of God will change your relationships. It will, listen, it will change how you think about yourself. It will change how you see yourself in the mirror. Jesus deals with insecurity. Jesus deals with sadness and anxiety. Jesus deals with, with confusion. He helps us mentally, he helps us spiritually. He helps, he helps, man, he even helps things like our finances. I'm not saying that like a prosperity gospel thing where you're just gonna get rich, but when we live by the principles of God, we're not materialistic, we're not a slave to the lender. We live different and we live better, even in our finances, even in how we work. The Bible says that we're not to work unto our boss, we work as unto God. So when we go to work, even if our boss is a jerk, no one here thinks that hopefully, that they still work really, really hard because we know we're ultimately working from God. Man, when God gets into your life, he starts to transform everything. Do we believe that? And not just now, there's not just benefits to following God now. Man, one day, eternity. Do you know that God loves you? Man, God loves us. He loves us. And I think we forget that sometimes too. We get so busy and so distracted and so many things going on and life is hectic and life is chaotic and we forget, as David said in the Psalms, to just be still and know that he is God. You are the only thing, listen to me, you are the only thing in the universe made in the image of God. Did you know that? You are the only thing made in the image of God. Not only are you the only thing made in the image of God, you are the only thing in the universe that the breath of God has been breathed into. I'm not talking about literal breath, he's talking about the soul. There is nothing in the universe that resembles God except for you. That's how much God cares about you. That's how much God values you. That's how much, not only does he want to sustain you now, but one day, I said this last week, right? that one day we're not just gonna be sustained, that one day we're going to inherit everything. Co-heirs with Christ, the Bible says. He loves you that much. He loves you. I don't know if anyone in this room needs to hear it, and it sounds cheesy and cliche. God sees you right now. 
He sees what you're going through. He knows the thoughts in your head. And he, he wants you to become desperate for him because he has better things for you. He has a better plan for you. He has security. He has joy. He has peace. He has fulfillment. We just have to agree with him. We have to get on board. But he loves you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room, and maybe you do not have a relationship with God, or maybe... Uh, you're very, very new. If you have any questions, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Amanda, she's our student pastor. If you have any questions for Amanda, she'd love to talk with you. Anything. Um, she's not offended by questions. She's a very calm, level-headed person. If you'd like to talk with her, she'd love to talk with you, okay? We also have men and women on both sides of the stage if you need prayer for anything. Listen, some of you, and I'm not trying to pick on you because I deal with it, some of you may need someone to pray with you about your apathy, your complacency, or maybe your entitlement. We can all slip into it, guys. Maybe you need prayer for family or friends. Maybe you need prayer for finances or a job situation. Whatever it is, please let someone pray with you. The last thing is there is communion all the way around this room. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, and if you're sitting in the middle section on these posts, there's communion. The communion is bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It is a tangible, physical reminder that not only can we be forgiven by the body and blood of Jesus that was on the cross, but we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit because of the cross. That not only can, can we be forgiven, that we can be empowered, and that we can live the way that God wants us to live honorably. Everyone is welcome to take communion as long as you ask Jesus to forgive you, okay? Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. Lord, I don't know why I feel the need to, to harp on this for a second. God, for any of us in this room that don't feel valuable, for any of us in this room who may be hurt or scarred, maybe we are insecure, maybe we've become lazy in our faith, God, maybe we've become entitled. Father, sh shake us out of that mindset. Remind us, God, that you love us, that you are our source of strength, that you are our source of fulfillment and peace. God, help us live lives that honor you, Lord. We can only do it through the power of your spirit. Lord, let us just be willing vessels, God. Bless all my friends in this room. Keep your hand on them, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have a good rest of your day.